I would pay probably upwards of 100 quid and watch Eric Cantona walk on stage, put his collar up, say the Seagulls line, and then just stand there for an hour and a half. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is was just lacked that intensity. Here we go. We're going into our performance rankings. So, as mentioned before, uh, there's only really one place to start because we haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. Stephen Kenny's Ireland and that uh, woeful performance on Friday evening. I was watching it with an American woman who asked me, do Ireland always play like this? Um, So yeah, 13th loss for them from 23 competitive outings. We said for a lot of last week, we were like, if it's a loss and we actually put in the performance, we can see that there has been some sort of change. There's some sort of squad, but the general consensus over the last couple of days seems to be that this is possibly the worst Irish side that we have seen in a long, long time on the men's side. And that... uh, Stephen Kenny is in a little bit of trouble. We don't know what is going to happen with him next. He was speaking to the media yesterday ahead of tonight's game against Gibraltar and he said on his contract situation, my contract is up to the end of the campaign and whether it's renewed will depend on how people feel the campaign went overall, but I certainly fully expect it to be. So that's how he feels at the moment. He said he was very much focusing on Gibraltar tonight and forgetting the woes of Friday. But I think even when you listen to how the Greeks were talking about it and uh, how obvious it was to them where all our holes and flaws were and how easy it was for them to target them, it's not a good place to be. Uh, our next fixtures, um, obviously, is Gibraltar tonight. And then after that, in September, in a four-day stretch, we're in Paris and then the Dutch come to Dublin so you know I, I don't think there should be any knee jerk reaction after tonight really um, but you know it will require something remarkable from the games in Paris and then you hope against uh, the Netherlands in a, in a full Aviva I think the, the Gibraltar and Netherlands tickets were sold together is that correct I'm fairly sure it was yeah I think so so um, if there's 40 odd thousand there tonight um uh, then you would expect that the the ground will be fairly full for the Netherlands. Now they'd need to beat Gibraltar and then beat France and then beat the Netherlands. I think for him to be in a situation where everybody's like, "Oh, actually, you know what? Maybe things have changed." But uh, I mean, it'd be remarkable if that happened. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's not going to happen. So I think we'd all be sitting here being like, "That's the greatest comeback in Irish sporting history." And even then, you'd still you'd still struggle to be getting out of the group because of the the scenario that we find ourselves in here. So um, maybe you wouldn't if you were winning those games, but it's not going to happen. So that's that's the level we're at now, where it's like a, a miracle to get out of the situation, and it's it's desperately disappointing. Like there's no there's no way of dressing this up. I did the game on on Friday night in studio here with Finny Perth and. Um, it just, he was making the point that we got outcoached. Um, tactically, they were better than we were and we didn't adapt quickly enough to it. We didn't make changes that we needed to make. Um, and obviously, before the match, when the team was named, Finney was very concerned about the shape of the team. Last week when we were talking about it, he'd posited three potential teams, you know, what he thought might be going through Stephen Kenny's mind. One of them ended up being the, the, the second half team where 
Um, Michael Johnson came on and that even that shape was slightly better. But those first 15 minutes were just so bad. It was like a lack of leadership, uh, a real misunderstanding about how to break the patterns of play. Nobody, nobody like even managed to pretend that their contact lens was uh, jammed in their eye. Nobody broke the pattern of us being completely overwhelmed. And that's why, listening to the press conference yesterday, um, Stephen Kenny's talking about the, the, the goals, but the goals didn't come in isolation. The goals came as a result of the pattern of play being completely one-sided in favour of Greece. And Greece so thoroughly dominated us that they were really unfortunate to only win the game 2-1. I, I, I mean, I think it's ridiculous that we have this player of the match award when we get beaten, but Bazunu was the player of the match. And, like, I don't know, could, could anybody else have been given any semblance of, like... Mark, I don't think so. You know, a mark over 5 out of 10. So... Um, and look, I, I get, I get that the players were not at it uh, because it's been so long since they played a game. Listening to um, Gary Breen and, and David Connolly, they were making the point that even a friendly against Bows or Rovers would have given the the players timing. Whereas in the seventy minutes eleven aside match that they played in Turkey, you're not going to go and crunch one of your teammates for fear that they get injured because then he's out and you're definitely not getting picked because you're getting punished by the, the manager. So the timing of the players was off in the first half. The players who we think are good played really badly. Mm. Like the midfield was awful. Atrocious. Absent in that first half. And I think partly that was to do with the shape. I do I do think partly that was to do with the shape but I also think that um, uh, I don't know. So, like, at that stage, it appears as if you're making excuses for what happened. But, uh, you know, Greece had the same um, preparation that we had, obviously played uh, players in, in different leagues. Some of them had been off for as long as our players and they didn't seem to, to bear the same issues. You know, you would say Simica's touch looked pretty good for somebody mm. who's um, not a first-choice player at but his team. Now, obviously, he's at a much higher level than any of our players. Mm. But it's also the fact as well that, like, such a big deal was made before this game of like the fact that Stephen Kenny had given the squad time and they had time together to get themselves up to speed and that they had been working really hard and they'd been working on different tactical formations and that you know the newer players that were still discovering the likes of like Mikey Johnson and stuff that they had been integrated into the, the squad and maybe a way that it felt like everyone was on this, a similar page in a different way to how they were before. And then the, when they came out, like you were saying, those first 15 minutes, it was like a group of people who had never played together before. They just looked so off the pace, so off where they should be at this stage. And like I was reading a lot of stuff over the weekend of people saying that, you know, it's a bad team and it's the worst crop of players we've ever had. And the, you know, FAI certainly to blame for part of that in terms of how we've developed over the last couple of years. But also, I, I don't think we're as bad as we actually did play on Friday. And that's the frustrating thing, the, th- the fact that the entire team got totally outplayed, outthought, you know, tactics, whatever it was, by Greece in a way that we shouldn't be. I don't think anyways. And I'm not saying that to put like a positive spin because I don't think you can put much of a positive on Friday. I think there's a twin track to this, right? And both things are true. The the um, tactics were wrong and that is the result of the manager making those decisions. And also what Liam Brady said, I think is also true. This is the worst group of international players that we've had. 
potentially ever right like uh, going back in football history we always had players who were uh, considered amongst the very best in uh, in our league which was really good up until the 40s and 50s and then all our best players uh, uniformly went across the water and at that stage we had players in all the best teams in England so um, it doesn't feel like we are producing players who are capable of running a, a game or understanding and look maybe that's because we're not picking them maybe 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 we have to just go back to kick and rush is that what everybody wants mm, back no. to the Martin O'Neill and the second uh, Mitt McCarthy era and the end of trap is that like so we, we just need to be careful what we wish for here as well like uh, you can get Big Sam and Robbie Keane in you can do that and you can be guaranteed that uh, we'll be as exciting to watch as Leeds were in their final three games I don't of the think season. the uh, Stephen Kenny naysayers want to go back to kick and rush football they just want to go to major tournaments and have memorable moments and it feels at this moment that we're just a million miles away from that it was interesting that he picked Will Smallbone here as the first start this match it was such a huge game and everyone saw this game in advance that Greeks away was going to be the game presumably that was because of the partnership that he and Matt Doherty developed against the Gets Latvia and that friendly that three two wins before the France game and also you're talking about fine margins here. Remember Nathan Collins's header at the end of the France game that yeah. was for one all. Yeah, and if if that had been converted because I remember the morning after here we were fairly positive about Ireland's display, very disappointed to lose, but fairly positive. And then we're back to this again, and it feels like we're always going back to this place with Stephen Kenny. I think after that result and particularly performance against Greece, I think it's all over for Kenny in terms of goodwill and. Uh, and his future as Ireland manager. So, for example, they win tonight. It doesn't really matter unless they absolutely obliterate Gibraltar. And even then, it doesn't I, really matter. I don't think... Like, and I mean, the, I Dutch and, the Dutch and France doubleheaders, <laughs> like, maybe... If, yeah. you get, if they get a, They probably have one valiant display where they narrowly lose and maybe get a point against the Dutch, right? So say that happens. They play well twice. I still think it's not enough. It won't be enough. And even if, even if they won twice, it'll be the next round of fixtures, which is, again, going to be Greece and Gibraltar. If it's a draw at home to Greece, I told you so. And he's had too many I told you so's. Kenny, oh, no, no, there needs to be like a, a miraculous run of results now, which is better than any run of results we've had in Irish football history. And we don't have the players to do that. And look, it's it does appear as if the, uh, the manager is struggling to get the best out of these players. And that's the bit that I, I was hopeful wasn't going to be the case. I, I was hopeful that he was coming up with a style that suited us, that was interesting uh, to the football public, that was progressive and that allowed us to get into games, um, which, you know, uh, which we could all get behind. And that, unfortunately, has not been the case. It has been good results followed by really bad results. Like, if you look at the divergent path from Ireland hammering Scotland that time and where Scotland have gone on to from then to now... It just doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, if, if Ireland were to play Scotland in the morning, I would expect Scotland to hammer us the way Scotland are playing at the moment and the way Ireland are playing. And yet, we just, this time last year. So I, I don't know. And it, we haven't even plateaued at any stage. It's, it's been very up or very down. There's been no point where it's just kind of been like, this is steady. We're like slightly climbing. Maybe we might drop a little bit against certain higher up teams and then like slightly climbing again. It's just been like, whoop, whoop. Yeah. yeah. But also, they don't get hammered. Kenny sides so we're in this uh, eternal purgatory about where is this team actually going and it's kind of down but they're, if they were getting blown out of it game after game he'd already be gone like oh it's yeah the, it's the fact that he's he's constantly staying in there and also I think what frustrates people about Kenny is he's a big defender of his side especially in the media like especially talking afterwards and again he's like he's still seen the green shoots of the performance at times against Greece and how okay he said they were insipid but that they were always in the game 
and like that really infuriates people especially people who don't want them in the job so the, like ideally people want them to come out and say like we're as terrible as everyone's saying uh, and obviously he's not going to do that no and I think that's the right thing for him to do too yeah. you know like uh, for whatever um, you know Stephen Kenny has been very true to his core beliefs and I've no doubt that whatever uh, whatever experience he takes from this into the future is going to be very valuable for him as a football manager um, I, I it's it's very difficult to see a way in which he's going to get another campaign. I do think that they they shouldn't uh, prevent him from taking that next double header. For example, I don't think that makes any sense. I, you know, somebody was saying oh, you've got to give somebody a new opportunity to bet in before the following campaign. I, I mean, they don't have a huge amount of money in the FAI. We know that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'd be able to find money for something if they thought that uh, something was out there on the list. On the lists that are being made now of potential replacements, Lee Carsley's name has bubbled up to the top. John O'Shea's name is there. He's obviously part of the backroom team. Roy Keane's name is there. Uh, Big Sam, uh, because of his his link with Robbie Keane at Leeds, uh, has has come back into um, people's reckoning. And to manage Limerick. Yeah. That's his thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, it would be the single most important aspect of his entire managerial career if he was to get the job. Um and so, you know, obviously, uh, Chris Hutton, who is not pulling up trees in um, Ghana at the moment. Uh, Phil was saying he follows some Ghanaian journalists on uh, Twitter outside and that's the perception there is that the football isn't particularly enjoyable either. And that was the case. It has been the case. Like, a very confident manager. But, like... The thing with all those managers, they'll all have the same group of players. And looking at the Greece team as well, it's like a very good development eleven. Or back in the day, you know, you'd have your A team. Like the England A's in the mid-90s to see who's going to get picked the last remains of, of a World Cup squad. Like, it's quite exciting, but it's an exciting team for the future, largely. And then ideally you're like, well, there's, it's, there's surely another set of 11 that can play. But that's, that's the almost what we have. The Francie Brady says, whatever you think of them, experienced successful coaches like O'Neill, Trapp and Mick told us the players weren't good enough, but we said, no, they were the issue, it turns out. It turns out they weren't the issue. Uh, I don't think you can be the manager of a team and tell the players they aren't good enough and expect them to somehow yeah. put in great performances. You just can't. And I think that's the the bit here that, like, if 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 our response to what's gone on here is to go, oh, we need a hard ass who comes in and tells us all we're shit. It's like, well, okay, let's just massively throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Like, mm. I think it's interesting. A lot of the comments that are coming in this morning, they're like people who say they are active Kenny supporters and have been, but found like Friday really tough, or found the last couple of days really tough to defend him. A lot of what they keep coming back to is we can totally appreciate what Kenny has done in terms of the players he's brought in, or what he has done for certain players. But maybe now is the time to move on to something where we're not getting caught out in like a tactical sense in the way that we were on Friday. And they're like, again, they're not trying to do down on Kenny. And like appreciate his legacy, but then the also opens up the question of well, then who? What is the next step? Do we have someone who can actually take us to the next level? Yeah, well, like whenever Stephen Kenny goes, then we'll have the question of which legacy would you prefer? Like, would you prefer Martin O'Neill's tenure at Ireland, which ended so negatively that friendly against Northern Ireland and barely anyone showed up? Would you like that legacy where he had that moment, Euro twenty sixteen, or would you prefer Stephen Kenny's where we didn't really get anywhere on paper, but he did try? fundamentally changed the way Ireland played football um, and oftentimes it wasn't uh, clearly apparent if if Martin O'Neill had left after the Euros I yeah. think he would have had a, a second and third life as a manager in English football on the back of that but he stuck around for the following campaign 
um, we got annihilated. That's that's that that's what happened there. Um, like getting out of a group in a tournament is an all-time Irish football legacy, right? But that team played reasonable football, and we actually had a a midfield who was playing football. Like I, I do, I do wonder. It's not true that um, other managers would have the same players. Other managers would have had Jeff Hendrick and Robbie Brady in the team against Greece. Would they have made a difference? Like, are, are people saying that that would have been fundamentally better than Malumbi? Maybe. Do you know? Like, I I don't know. Um, but I guarantee you that Mick wouldn't have had the same team at all. Like. Uh, those centre backs, I don't know. Would Nathan Collins have been in the team? Maybe. Um, we would have been playing four four two, more than likely. Uh, and I'm fairly sure that James McLean would have started, probably on the left wing. Um, I mean, Matt Hardy obviously he can't play left back. We were told after that half in, in Gibraltar. So look, I don't know. We're, yeah, and they could have, and they still could have lost two one. We're down the rabbit hole here. You know, they still could have. But it would be more recognisable because the team would be pretty obvious and no frills. Whereas this team, the Stephen Kenny Pitt, was straight away being like, oh, that's risky. Straight away. So that's the difference, really. Mm. And I'm seeing one comment like Martin O'Neill's tenure is objectively better. It was like because he had the Euro 2016 moment, but like he had no interest at all in developing Irish football. It was just getting results, which is what he would say he was paid to do. Didn't care what was coming through, but he was able to provide results. Kenny's pretty much the opposite. All right. Is, is there a thing where like he's brought us to this space where he's changed the way we play football he's changed the way that like we have approached football in the way we have the last couple of years and okay that's not a successful route for us now but depending on who they get in next and if they get someone in that kind of applies the same theories to Irish football but actually has the tactical skill with to bring it along a little bit forward this is like a longer term project that there was just too much for Kenny to fix um, the difficulty is that uh, we have in, in human history watched most Football organisations do the exact opposite next of what they had done previously. So there's never I was a sense being of <laughs> building on top of it, oh. you know. So, and look, yeah, I, uh, that's the difficulty here is that like Kenny took on the ambition of changing how we were perceived, yeah. and at the moment we are not perceived as particularly difficult to play against. And Greece didn't find it difficult to play against us. So um, anyway, that is in the red. Stephen Kenny's Ireland is in the red. And it is a long, precipitous climb back to... Um, Great motivation for him, though. Imagine that. What are you thinking now? Everyone, basically everyone hates his team. Like, well, I don't hate his team. Mean? I don't hate his team. Yeah, I think and I'm dying for like, it to work. You're no good. Get out of here. Imagine him, imagine him sitting with those thoughts the whole time. It's a great motivator. Like, <laughs> Yeah, or, or it ruins you. But yeah, it very much depends on the sort of person that you are. I would say he's We now know what sort of person Colum is. I think he's the farmer. Can I just, um, people are saying, oh, Big Sam doesn't play hoofball. At, at Bolton, he had like Yuri Jorkiev and he had Ivan Campo JJ. and JJ Okocha. We don't have those players. Yeah. We don't have those players. We've got Josh Cullen. Like, uh, you know, he has been really, it was a terrible mistake against France, which cost us a fairly famous and a very important start to the campaign. And then he was completely anonymous himself and Malumbi. We're both anonymous, and I, I think playing Will Smallbone was actually a symptom of Stephen Kenny getting in his own head a bit too much and and not doing the thing that had got him to this point. It was like, okay, this is going to offer us more opportunity. But Will Smallbone's not ready for for uh, Broadway just yet. Like, one half season in the championship was not enough 
Anyway, schluck. Leave it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Hopefully tonight we will have a, a better result. Also in the red, we have Connacht football after all the teams that were playing at the weekend lost. Some of them less expected than others. Obviously, Dublin obviously hammered Sligo, which was a little bit expected. Well, it was very expected. I'm trying to make myself feel better about that one by saying that. Uh, Armagh got a famous win against Galway. Uh, there was very nearly a Shane Walsh free at the end that went over if it had gone over. It would have been a draw. Roscommon losing to Kildare. I mean, the final moments of that game were absolutely sensational. And then Mayo as well, getting that surprise defeat against Cork. Once again, not turning up. But uh, yeah, no, that, I mean, the Kevin Feely grab for the mark at the end. in the Score co- of the year so far. <laughs> but we talk was, about that, he's going to be in the green. Yeah, exactly. It was a beautiful moment. But yeah, not a good weekend uh, for any of those sides uh, from Connacht. I mean, for Mayo, it means that they have to go the roundabout way into the quarterfinals if they want to be able to get there. A uh, couple of weird decisions from them in that one, particularly Aidan O'Shea towards the end where he lofted a free into the box. Rather than he himself, the biggest man on the pitch probably being in there if he was going to go for goal or if he just stuck it over the bar that also would have been helpful to them um, so yeah not not a good weekend for those teams uh, yeah to hell or to Connacht <laughs> I mean look they were they were banging on about how they were so great for so long this one weekend everybody else is going to enjoy it but um, obviously uh, three of the teams aren't dead yet and in fairness, I think Sligo are relatively happy with uh, the experience they've had of, of playing at this level and um, they were talking in the aftermath about how it's going to improve them and bring them on next year. So Division 3 is going to be fairly sensational next year because the Mead renaissance is underway. Um, and we're awaiting the draw for the semi-finals. We could yet have uh, the Andy McEntee derby in the Talton Cup. We'll talk more about this a little bit later on. The draw is going to be made at half eight this morning. We'll bring it to you as soon as we get it. Yeah, we will have Cahill in at that time as well talking about the golf, so there'll be lots of fun things. Uh, in the Amber, we have none other than Rory McIlroy. So, as we said earlier, the wait for that f- elusive fifth major continues, uh, closing round of 70 for him. He lost to Wyndham Clark, so he is only a first-time winner on the PGA Tour uh, in May. He won at Wells Fargo. Um, but yeah, McElroy's 9-under total was just a shot shy to force a playoff there. And his wait continues. Uh, I think there was a surprising amount of Irish people actually stayed up last night to watch it. I know even when chatting to guests to come on today, a lot of people were like, nope, sorry, staying up to watch McElroy. There really was a feeling that he could do something this weekend. Uh, and I think that's why so many people jumped on. And as we said, obviously, Lennon Maguire won as well. So that was, and it could have been a, a great day for Irish golf and really put itself on, well, put itself properly on the map for this season but um wasn't to be he was talking afterwards and he said he would take another 100 Sundays like today if it meant that he was still in contention for those big titles and he still had a chance to win another Masters or another Major so yeah it was a, a tough day for him but he seemed fairly content with it he didn't seem absolutely devastated afterwards uh, and I salute any person who is listening to us right now and also stayed up to watch it unless you're doing a complete rollover which I also would salute yeah poor Cahill a half an hour sleep he's working on here I can't wait to see we're going to see he's surprisingly awake uh, it's Cahill like, you know, he's flawless yeah. <laughs> the, man, the man's flawless but come here like um, 16 pairs in his last round and the number of top 10 finishes, even top 5 finishes he's had, like he's doing absolutely everything right, like he said. Golf is one of those sports, like you can have a Wyndham Clark who rocks up and just has the, the weekend of his life and it happens to coincide with one of the biggest tournaments of the year. It happens, you see, Todd Hamilton did it 20 years ago at the Open, never to be heard from again, like you just 
you're able to show up and perform when it matters most but uh, our own John Duggan pointed this out last night which I thought was very interesting or actually four hours ago that's how late people were staying up Jack Nicholas has had a re- Jack Nicholas had a record of 19 runner-up finishes you know just because it's nearly a decade around McElroy he's very young in the game of golf He's definitely going to add to his majors. There's no doubt about it. Well, I, I did have doubt about it. I thought that he wasn't going to be able to get back to this level. And I felt like there was going to be a hangover from the whole live thing. And there isn't. It turns out he is actually channeling that and playing better golf as a result this week. He just needs to have some putts drop. Um, I did feel like there was a, a point where he wasn't going to be able to come back, keep coming back. But it turns out he can. And that's why it's fascinating. Like He's in the Mayo stage of his career at this point. And we just want him to get over the line. Um, when I do finally win this next major, it's going to be really, really sweet. I'd go through 100 Sundays like this to get my hands on another major championship. Uh, so, look, we've got to move on. Uh, that is the Amber. He's only an Amber because uh, he didn't win. But I think the fact that he was able to be as relevant as he was all week this week and play slightly differently uh, from the normal swashbuckling Roy McIlroy would suggest that there's a maturity in his game and he's going to be okay Mm. It's interesting how he seems kind of okay with it, but I just from reading what people were saying, you know, our own Joe Malloy and stuff, it almost felt like those people felt more pain for him that he hadn't <laughs> quite made it. Like, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, and maybe it was just the lack of sleep as well. Um, up Mayo, wherever you go, says on YouTube, sorry lads, Rory is Kendall. Uh, Rory might be Kendall. Uh, Why is that? Who's Logan? Uh, uh, Tiger. Um so it, it, am I right in saying this? Is, this, is it is who's Connor? Is Royal Liverpool where he won there before? So am I right in saying twenty twenty three? Anyway, we'll come back to that with the, we'll do proper golf um, with uh, the man who stayed up to watch it. Call it a little bit later. Yeah. So coming up in the green, we have another golfer in Leona Maguire. So she has come second in the Meyer LG LPGA Classic the last two years, um, but finally third time lucky. She carded at eight under par, sixty four to win. She started uh, yesterday two holes off the lead, and then four birdies and an eagle in her final six holes gave her her second success on the tour. So she birdied the thirteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth, and then the eagle came on the 14th um, I mean it's great to see for her that she finally is kind of catching up and getting a few more of those tour wins that we've said that we've always known she can get and hopefully she can just keep building on it as she said herself that she's been playing some really good golf leading into this week and she just was trying to be patient with herself and not put too much pressure uh, also that it was nice to go bogey free and that her goal was to get 20 under so she said it was nice to get one better than that um, and yeah she just said it was a tough weekend that she didn't feel like she, it was free-flowing golf for her uh, which from the outside you would say it, it looked pretty free-flowing but clearly she was feeling the pressure a little bit but yeah she managed to come out on top I haven't seen the updated rankings just yet but she was 20th in the world heading into the uh, the tournament and I suspect she'll be up a few places as well I think the most important part about this is that her her form has kind of like most golfers ebbed and flowed a bit mm-hmm. but it's always come back and uh, she's a genuine superstar of the game and 350 grand for winning this like it's um, it's not jump change but it's like uh, you know just an, an expectation now that she's going to be competing at the very top level. So congratulations to her. She's a cold, hard assassin when it comes down to the back <laughs> nine. She is a killer. This is exactly what we need in Irish sports. Way more Leona Maguire's. I think like... She's like Logan, so... You're going to... You, maybe. You're going to find a lot of Irish sports teams beating a path to um, to the door going... Um, so 
What, how, how does this work? Why, why, why do you always play your best when it's most difficult? I was going to say, can we get a consultancy yeah, I mean, set up for her? And then she can come. Her and maybe like David Sharkey or something, they could team up and do some theming and also some how to be a cold hard killer in the final moments of a game. Speaking of cold hard killers, Kevin Feely. I'm delighted for the man. Like uh, to, to do his Achilles the way he did was horrific. Uh, uh, you know, in your 30s you do your Achilles, most people don't come back from it. He came back in a record-breaking time and then was thrust into being required way ahead of it. And then... And then, I don't know if you saw it, but afterwards he was just sitting there, still panting and sweating uh, in the studio afterwards going, um, and they were asking him, you know, are you left-footed or right-footed? And he's like, oh no, I'm right-footed. But he kicks, he's kicking all the points with the left foot. In the last second, like the, literally the last play of the game, to still have the energy, despite the fact that you're like, your you know, new Achilles. I mean, look, it's one of, it's actually the most important score that Kildare have had since McGinney era, right? That's the first thing. And it's definitely the score of the year so far, and I'm not hearing any arguments. So. I have to agree, to be honest. Like, it was an incredible take. And actually, there was one stage in the La Rochelle match where there was a similar moment of, like, an absolutely brilliant take. And it was so reminiscent of that one. And I just, I think for, like, we've listened to Shane talk about Ross Common so much over the last like yeah screw you Shane <laughs> couple of weeks and the Where's fact your Messiah now Flanders <laughs> the fact that you know Davy Burke is a Messiah of football and he's going to take over the world and I mean I I think he has a point in the fact Davy Burke has obviously done an incredible job at Ross Common but it felt like Kildare just had their number and not only that they had those moments of pure class to see it out and it's a bit like you were saying about Leona Maguire who'd it's rare that you've seen those moments of class from the Skildare side in recent times, I think it's probably fair to say. Um, so yeah, it was a, a, gr- a good win for them and also very enjoyable to watch. I do enjoy seeing Roscommon getting beaten, I won't lie. It was an incredible end to the group stages. Like, mm. let's, let's have a proper, honest reconciliation with how everybody feels about the group stages now before you go, oh, it's only one. It's like everything was building up. The whole point of the elaborate structure was to create yesterday's scenarios where every single score mattered and Kieran McGinney afterwards was effusive in his praise it was like mm. literally every point at the end of those games mattered and we actually have a clip of him talking about that as well if you want to listen to it it's very hard to know what's going to keep people on TV happy I know what keeps the supporters happy more games more competitive games nearly every game this year in the Ryan Robin system has been competitive a couple of years ago we were playing we don't have enough games now we're saying we're too, have too many games then there was dead rubbers and now there's no dead rubbers like it's, like to me you, know, the, you have to sit back and sort of see like some of the games today everybody was fighting for every score it wasn't even winning the game it was fighting for every single score and to me the system you know is, is much better yeah, way better. And uh, you were making the point about the the uh, Mayo free at the end. A point there would have meant everybody ends up on uh, four points of scoring difference, and uh, all of a sudden this is hugely important. And like that's a transformative moment for uh, maybe not for Kerry because it looks like Kerry are back in form, but perhaps for Mayo. So Mayo could be heading out in a whimper next week. And um, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was all excellent. Mm. Well, if you were to pick like who was going to end up in the quarterfinals at the end of like this series and you said Kerry, Derry, Dublin, you'd be like, yeah, fair enough. And if you threw Armagh into the middle of it, everyone would have been like, what? What happened with that? And like they, it, it's not the fact that, you know, Armagh have had like great success the last couple of years. It was just more that the 
the way it was set up, it felt like everyone thought it was completely obvious what was going to happen and how this was going to go because everyone was like, oh, well, it's it's not competitive or like there's nothing on the line. But then you get a day like yesterday and it was like, I wish I had 50 eyes and 50 TV screens so that you could actually watch every single game because all of them pretty much apart from, say, maybe ones like Dublin and Saigo were quite interesting and pulled off some sort of interesting result, even if it was Kerry absolutely hammering loud in the way they did. Like uh, Cork, what the hell? Cork six points down and all of a sudden, uh, what? Uh, you're supposed to you're supposed to roll over. That's what we've seen. They've been flaky, but they really weren't. Like that was sensational. And then for Westmeath, with nothing to play for, to uh, stop Tyrone the way they did. Uh, Desi Dolan was very angry afterwards with the way his team had been written off and accused of not being worthy of their place. But uh, like, yeah, Division Three next year is <laughs> it's going to be absolutely on fire. Uh, so um, I don't know. I thought that yesterday was like a, an awakening of the Gaelic Football Championship and let's wait and see what happens and then and then maybe we can stop with the oh this is all terrible the game's the game's dead there's also the thing of like people saying well like oh well if it's Kerry and Dublin in the final what does all this matter and you're like well no you want a good championship it doesn't matter if a team goes out in the quarterfinals and but they've gone on some like amazing run throughout the rest that's part of the fun and the power rankings this week there's going to be many changes I think I think I think McGinney was referencing the power rankings and the difference between Galway and Armagh. Galway at the top of the front, first page. Armagh at the bottom. A barely a point between them. After extra time. Last year they were lost on penalties. Anyway, uh, Tommy Rooney has a lot to answer for. Uh, have we another green or is that it? No, nope, that's us. All right, that's this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. After the break, John Fallon on tonight's game and Stephen Kenny's future.